Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Well, if you turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, and it's not often I do this, but uh, we're going to look at exactly the same text as we looked at last week. Um, we're starting a series on the Gospel of Matthew. What, what better time to do it than right now? Um, what better time to do it than Advent? We're looking at uh, the events before the coming of Jesus into the world. Um, and uh, we looked at this genealogy last week. We're going to look at it again. Um, the point that I made last week, the point that I think Matthew was trying to make, is that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah that, uh, uh, that the Old Testament saints all looked forward to. He was the son of David. Last week, uh, I think uh, it was Johnny that read the passage from Second uh, uh, Samuel chapter seven, where it says that David was promised that he would have a son that would sit on his throne forever. And we watched the, uh, the the kings of Judah as the as the Old Testament unfolds, and you got one king after another king after another king, but when God brings judgment and the Babylonians take the Jewish people off into exile, you have an end of the, of the line of David. And we're left with the question, how is God going to be faithful to His promise? There's no more king in Jerusalem. There's nobody left on David's throne. And we start out the Gospel of Matthew saying, Jesus is the Son of David. He is the King who, Je- who uh, uh, God promised David long before would come, and He would be the Son of David who would sit on His throne forever. Jesus was the Son of Abraham. The Son of Abraham who um, was the promise that was, that was uh, the seed of, of Abraham that that would um, one day be a blessing to all nations. He was all of those things, and yet there's more here. Uh, we we took the amount of time that I normally take on a sermon, and, and and we saw quite a lot that was there. But there's still some themes here that we need to uncover in this genealogy. There were some names that I skipped over. There were some names, and these names are really important names. You see, we, we look through all these names, name after name after name after name, and they're all men. And that's how you would expect an Old Testament genealogy to go. Man after man after man, he fathered him, he fathered him, all, all the way down the line. But what you don't expect to see is a woman's name. But yet, here in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that Matthew has recorded uh, Jesus' genealogy and he's listed the names of four women. We need to take note of that. That's important. He wouldn't have named these four women if they weren't important for us to look at. So let's go ahead and read our text. We're going to read the same text as we read last week. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, 
and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, and Abihud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Methan, and Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for every word, even the genealogies. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. Lord, your word feeds us, nourishes us, and causes us to have life. We live on your word. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your word has to say to us tonight. Give me strength and grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're going to focus on those four women. And the first one we've already heard a little bit about. When uh, Amy read the text, it might seem really strange. It's Christmas time. Why are we having a scripture reading about an incestuous relationship between Judah and his daughter-in-law? This seems so strange. Why did this happen? And yet, we need that background information to understand this story, this genealogy. The first woman that we come to in the line of Jesus is Tamar. And we heard the story as Amy read it. Uh, you have Judah who, who had a son who was married to Tamar. And Tamar was a Gentile. He married Tamar and he didn't have any children. And yet he died because he had done something wicked in the Lord's sight. God killed him. And there's a problem here. Judah's the one that's supposed to be carrying the messianic seed. So 
This has to be answered. Judah is the one to carry the messianic seed, and yet his son died before he was able to have a child. So what happens? Well, in that culture, in that context, what they had was something called Leverite marriage. This seems foreign to us, but it was very common in the ancient Near East. What happened is, you see, if, uh, if a man died before his wife was able to have a child, then the brother of that man was supposed to marry his wife in order to be able to raise up a, uh, a descendant for him and, uh, and able, uh, be able to uh, uh, raise up someone to follow, carry on the family line. And that's, that, it's foreign to us. We don't do that anymore. That would just be weird. <laughs> But that's what they did back then. And so um, Judah gives his next son to Tamar to be married. And the next son, he also does something wicked in God's sight and God kills him. If you're interested in that, you can, go, you can read it from Genesis 38, but I'm not going to go into that right now. And so, again, two sons have been given to Tamar. And both of them have died because they've both done something wicked in God's sight. And she has no children. And Judah has no heir. And then there's Selah. Selah is Judah's youngest son at the time. And he knows, okay, this, this is not good news. This, this lady is not good news. He's given one son, she, he dies. Two sons, he dies. He doesn't want to give a third son and have him die as well. And so he withholds Selah, and he doesn't let her let Selah marry Tamar, even though that's the custom and that is what was necessary to raise up a descendant. So Tamar, this woman that is a Gentile, this woman that is in the genealogy of Christ, what does she do? She tricks Judah. She knows that Judah's wife has died and that he's gone someplace and she dresses up as a prostitute. And she meets Judah on the side of the road and she seduces him. That's in the Bible? (laughs) Yes, that's in the Bible. Fortunately, she's a smart lady. She knows that she needs to have something to have as proof. She asks for his signet ring and his staff, or I think, and he gives it to her. And when it's found out that she's pregnant, Judah thinks, burn her. She's been adulterous. He doesn't even know that it was her that he had already been adulterous with. What a double standard that this guy has. And she knows she's got proof that can clear her name. So she brings out the signet ring, this sign, this pledge that Judah had given her. And Judah realizes, oh, she's more righteous than I. I was supposed to give my son to her so that he would be able to raise a child up to continue the line, and yet I've, I've done it. I've not done it. And it, the text tells us he does not go into her again. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't sin in that way again. 
Why is it that this story is even written here? The most of what we see in Genesis after, you know, Jacob returns to the land after he marries Jacob, Rachel and Leah, and the most of the focus is on Joseph, where Joseph is thrown into a pit and sold into slavery down in Egypt and and raised up to the second in command in all of Egypt. And he saves all the people from famine. But all along the way, there's this secondary story, this second thread going through Genesis that's wound together like a tapestry. And this second thread is following this line of Judah. And you see this story about Judah. And at the end of the book of Genesis, you see there is a blessing that Jacob gives to his sons. And Judah is the one where Jacob says, the scepter will not depart from Judah. The king is going to come from his line. When we read this genealogy, it's supposed to remind us of the stories all along the way. When we read these names, many of us, it it may just be a name and we don't think anything of it. But when we know the stories, it comes alive. The next thing. So Tamar had Perez and Zerah. And Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram, and Ram was the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And what do we know about her? Rahab. That Rahab. (laughs) There's only one Rahab I know about. And again, Rahab was known as Rahab the prostitute. She was from the city of Jericho. She was a Canaanite. She was a Gentile. God had commanded the people of Israel to go into Jericho and destroy every man, woman, and child, not even to save the, the livestock. And yet Rahab believed in the God of Israel. And she was faithful and she hid the spies from Israel that came in to spy out the city. And Rahab was spared when the rest of her city was destroyed because she believed in the God of Israel. She married an Israelite. She married Salmon. And they had a child named Boaz. This Gentile woman who was a prostitute. We have two Gentile women Both of them engaged in sexual immorality. And yet, they believed in the promise of a seed. And then her son, Boaz. Oh, things are getting familiar already. We know the story there. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, another woman. Now, Ruth, we have a book of the Bible about her, don't we? This is one woman who who, uh, is not 
sexually immoral that we see here. No, her story is is a story of faithfulness, of God's faithfulness to her. Ruth is the story where she had married an Israelite. She was a Moabitess. She had married an Israelite, and yet her husband died before she had any children. Sound familiar? And she lived in the land of Moab with her mother-in-law, Naomi. But Naomi's children had all died, and so she went back to her land, to Israel, because the famine was over. And Ruth believed in the God of Israel. She was the one who said, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And Ruth follows her mother-in-law back to the land of Israel. And she needs a redeemer. She needs someone who will marry her. Naomi doesn't have any more kids. They need a close relative who can practice this Leverite marriage that we've talked about so that they can raise up a child. And she marries Boaz, the son of Rahab. Now, Ruth herself was, I guess you can call her a moral example. She believed in God. She wasn't a prostitute like the other two women that we see here. Yet, she may have a sort of genealogy herself. She was a Moabitess. The Moabites, if you trace the beginning of the Moabites, Genesis tells us they came from Lot. Abraham had a nephew that traveled with him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Lot was his name. And Lot, remember, he separated from Abraham and he went to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God warned Lot, get out of there before I come and destroy. And Lot fled. His wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. They fled to the nearest city. And yet he was even frightened there, so he fled to the mountain with his two daughters. And those two daughters got him drunk. And each of them lay with their father. And one of the children that was produced was Moab, the father of the Moabites. So, Ruth is from that line. And Deuteronomy says the Moabites could not enter into the house of God up until the 10th generation. And yet Ruth was not considered a Moabite. Her very grandson became the king, King David. So Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. The wife of Uriah. It doesn't mention her name, but we know it from reading the story. Bathsheba. 
We know the story. And probably she was called the wife of Uriah because we want to think of her also as a Gentile. She was married to Uriah the Hittite. We've got four women, all Gentiles. All involved, or someone in their family line involved, in sexual immorality. We come to Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, and and we know this story, David. David was, he was supposed to go out to war and fight with his men. And yet he had grown soft. He stayed home. He stayed home and he was up walking around on the roof of his palace and he looked down and he saw there, as he looked down, a woman bathing. And he said to one of his servants, go get her. I want that woman. He didn't care that she was married. So the servant goes and he gets Uriah, uh, not Uriah, Bathsheba, brings her to David. They commit adultery. And she gets pregnant. Now there's a problem. There's a problem for King David. He sinned and he's going to get found out. What is Uriah going to do when he finds out that he got Uriah's wife pregnant? So he devises a plan. First of all, he brings Uriah home and he says, oh, I'm so glad you've come home. Why don't you go see your wife? You've been out of the battle. You need to go see her. Trying to cover up his tracks. But Uriah... He was a faithful soldier. And he said, I can't go be with my wife whenever my men and my my countrymen are out there in battle. So if that doesn't work, David plans another plan. He sends Uriah back out into the battle. And he tells his generals to put Uriah in the very front lines. And when the fighting gets really hot, that everyone was to pull back except for Uriah. And Uriah was killed. And a whole lot more were killed. And David was a murderer. David was a murderer. Bathsheba was an adulteress. And a, married to a Gentile at least. Well, the child that was produced in their adultery died. But they married And they had another child who was Solomon. Solomon who would grow to be the next king after David, who would be the wisest one who would live. So we've looked at all the other names, I think. We've looked at at all the men in this line, but we needed to take a moment and look at the women in this line. We see a couple of common characteristics throughout the whole thing. One, They're either Gentile or Gentile-related. Two, they're either sexually immoral or there's some kind of sexual immorality in their history. So what does this tell us? That these are the women that are named in the genealogy of Jesus. You would think if you're going to name women in the genealogy of Jesus, you want to name the good ones, right? Sarah! Rebecca! Leah, you want to name those. 
And if you're going to get to David, maybe even name Abigail, who is good. But instead, it points out these four Gentiles with sordid histories. What does that tell us? It tells us, one, that God uses even our sinful and wicked choices to accomplish his goals. Judah sinned. Tamar sinned. David sinned. Rahab was a sinner. All of them immersed in sin. And yet, God had a plan and he used all of that to bring about the Messiah. And we look at our lives and we think, I'm so broken. I've got so much sin in my life. I struggle with so many things. You don't know what God is planning down the road. You don't know how how God is working even through your sinful, wicked choices to bring about His plan. As Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. The second thing I think we need to think about here is Jesus came for sinners. His family was a bunch of sinners. He came for sinners like us. Amen? Jesus didn't come to a family of all just perfect people. He came for sinners. And we can rejoice in that. We can see it in His family. And Jesus came not just for the Jews, but for Gentiles. God promised Abraham... That one day his seed would be a blessing to all nations. And we see that in Jesus. No longer does God just work among the Jews as them being his chosen people, but now people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are brought to God through his son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if we're Jew, Gentile, black, red, yellow, white. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if we're rich or poor. Doesn't matter if we're uh, um, sick or healthy. Doesn't matter any of those things. Jesus came for all. So what do we see from this genealogy? Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, the answer to the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve, to Abraham and to David, and to all the others. Jesus came for sinners. He took on flesh, like John tells us in chapter 1. He took on the same blood that ran through the veins of people like David, Bathsheba, Tamar, Ruth, and Rahab. 
He had that sinful blood running through his veins. And yet he was perfect. He was sinless. And when he gave his life upon the cross and shed his blood for us, his blood can make us clean. Washed us white as snow. Forgiven. Reconciled. And all we must do is trust, believe in the Savior who came to Bethlehem and to Calvary. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.